Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have George Krisa. He is a C-level business consultant, CEO of Challenging Decisions, uh, a consultancy that assists CEOs navigate difficult business waters today. Welcome to the show, George. Uh, good evening, AJ. Very, very happy to be here with you. Welcome. Welcome to the show, George. Welcome to India in this online form. And though you have never visited to India, now the technology will help a lot of people understand and gain insights from you about this topic, about how CEOs can operate, successfully operate in today's rocky business climate. And not just in India, a lot of people across the globe will benefit from your insights, from your understanding, from someone who has worked with Steve Jobs very, very closely. So first to understand from you, George, the question itself is that why do we think that the business environments are bad today? Let us look at the job of a CEO. How is it different than it was in earlier times? How is it difficult than it was in earlier times? How do we understand? Because every time is difficult for people who are running the affairs of either their companies or the state or whatever it is help us understand from from the, that time to this time the role of a ceo and why the waters are so difficult for them to navigate well i would say there's two or three primary reasons aj one of which is uh culture trying to have a successful and effective culture particularly a culture of execution uh, you know, what has happened here, and I think probably all over the world, is we've gone into a, uh, a situation where various different team members are no longer in the office right next to us. And so the concept that everybody is on the same page and working in the same direction with uh, accountability seems to be a much softer situation than it was in the past. So building an effective culture is very difficult. Number two, CEOs need to be more technology literate than they ever were in the past. And, uh, you know, in my particular case, for 25 years, I've been involved with more than 25 years, I've been involved with computer technology. But uh, in the last 25 years, very much involved with building software. And that has become an ever more necessary skill to understand what's important there. And then you can't also under, underestimate the need for effective financial management. As business conditions change, as the demands on the business change, and particularly, you notice as an Inc. 500 CEO, uh, managing hypergrowth is very, very important because there's all sorts of capital requirements for hypergrowth, and there's also uh, organizational challenges with hypergrowth. Right, George. Right. But isn't this uh, all the changing needs of different times. It is like a soldier of different time and era and a soldier of or commander of, of this age. They, they all deal with their problems. Why is it so difficult? Let's look at the positives here. You have technology. You have technology, so you have better talent. You have global talent at your hands. That not that an adv uh, advantage? Today, anybody, any CEO in, in, in India can connect with you and understand more about navigating difficult waters. Isn't that an advantage? Earlier it was 
it was not secondly you have a headquarter you have got employees who are in so many different places you have got so many hands at the same time earlier you know even if your other people were sitting very close to those may not have been the best people for you to help today you can have all the suggestions all the best practices from all across the globe how is it a difficult time you know every ceo has to manage the business in the best way that is possible i want to understand how is this mindset of a ceo changed is it that ceos are becoming much more younger and earlier it was because the ceos used to know the nuts and bolts of the system here it's a younger ceo and they have they they have to learn everything on the job and they don't have that much of experience how do you look at that how do you look at situations like the great resignation and quite quitting earlier it was not like that help us understand from this perspective if this is of because of other reasons is it because of mindset is it because many of these people lack that mental toughness that is required of the job fulfill the aspirations of the employees themselves forget about the customers that is a different story also you know, so let, you're really asking me two questions in one. So let's start with the software and multinational development. So uh, when we've gone through big software projects, we've done it uh, where primarily uh, half of the team is domestic and the other half of the team is offshore. Now, in my particular case, our offshore partner was in the Philippines. But India, we, we've had uh, Indian technologists working in the organization as well. And it's, you just have adapted to the fact of being flexible and pulling in the resources where you need to pull them in uh, for the specific demand for the tech, either specific technologies or architecture or uh, pro product development, product management, all those different things come together, but in our particular case, we used a blended model, and the blended model seemed to work the best uh, when we were able to, because we didn't have someone offshore from our organization, the blended model seemed to work well, where we would have a person domestically as a lead and a person offshore as a lead. Putting those two resources together helps us to be the most effective and to do the best, of course, we're using the Scrum method and uh, doing Java development primarily. But you know, whatever the technology happens to be, whatever the, the ETL, you know, the middleware layers, whatever these things are, you just pull in the resource from where you need to have the resource and become all the more effective. And the other benefit with the offshore is the ability to flex the size of the team rapidly and dramatically as the need uh, unfolds. Now, in terms of the change domestically here, in, in terms of uh, the great resignation, what we're seeing is uh, a gigantic migration towards solopreneurs. People, people are willing to dive off the deep end, do things their way, not worry about being part of a large corporation, not worry about a long-term window of employment. They're worried about what can I do with my skill set dynamically. And to your point, uh, they do think differently than the, the last couple of generations. They think differently to the degree where 
constraints that we might feel being older, they don't feel those constraints. They're not worried about those constraints. They're, they actually tend to put their own thoughts, needs, and desires above everything. You know, and, and we've always tried to foster a team-first culture. And so it's definitely not the same way it used to be in terms of is the team uh, the most important thing in order to accomplish our goals. Right, George. Right. So let's look at it and understand it from the present perspective. A lot of people come to you, including CEOs, C-level uh, executives, is that, you know, what is it that they generally come to you for your advice at, at challenging decisions? And that will give us some perspective of what is, uh, what are the problems they are facing. And, well, and then I'll come to the other questions. Well, with, with 25 years, having been a CEO for 25 years prior to challenging decisions, uh, I've, I've been able to deal with challenges, as we may have mentioned already, challenges in capital, challenges in management, challenges in software development, and so on and so forth. But in my case, the foundation of challenging decisions relates to CEOs that find themselves in a position where they're no longer comfortable. So in a, you know, in a steady state world or in a world where you know everything about everything, that's one thing and you can be comfortable and fine. But a lot of times CEOs don't know where to go for the answer. They, they need a new paradigm to overlay on a problem because let's face it, every one of us has, we're, we're a product of our environment. We're a product of our education. We have a framework that we're always working out of, and sometimes it's the wrong framework. So uh, people come to me very often to say, or, or they may not even realize what the real problem is. They say, I'm stuck here. I'm trying to redirect my business. And, and that's, uh, AJ, that's another obvious point is where people are trying to pivot their business because market conditions have pivoted. They're trying to pivot and maybe they're not seeing what that patch should look like. So we can work with them. In fact, I had a, a discussion with a CEO today at lunch. We're working on uh, the concept of going from a personally delivered service to an online productized deliverable. So that's a huge pivot. The amount of revenue that they need to generate from online sales is drastically lower. Well, what they are delivering is drastically lower than what they were delivering the other way. So that kind of presents a tremendous challenge. But that's just one example. You know, if a company is trying to uh, enhance their product offering, uh, bring something in-house or flip to outsource model, there's always some different angle that they've got to understand and think about how can I most effectively do this? Right, right. So in, in the present environment, uh, is the CEO actually, uh, say, running the company? What is his role today? Is it that he's just a, he or she is just a titular head? Or is it that he is actually the center of all the activities sitting in that corner room? Almost all of these people, you know, they want to, they aspire for the corner room, but can you run those uh, businesses just by 
sitting in the corner room and having a corner room mindset or is it that you need to be amidst the thick of everything it's like the midst of battle and the commander is not is giving command from somewhere else it's not in the midst of everything how does this work what are the fears of a ceo today is he afraid of getting killed in battle i mean getting booted out or is it is it that is it imposter syndrome this word has also come up how does it i am still not getting able to get to understand what exactly is the problem because the demands of times will always be there you need to be answerable to the board you need to be answerable to the consumer you need to be answerable to the people you know to to drive in sales that's what your yeah. job is you have got come from the drop business schools what is the problem what are the fears just by saying that times have changed does not mean you know that the demands will become less so they need to navigate it and this is what they need to do i want to understand this for the audience especially from a small business point of view they want to scale up and they are doing good so let let me answer let me answer i think it's a very insightful question actually aj and but i'm going to start with a big business first so if you compare uh apple computer as an example or microsoft maybe a little bit less extent like microsoft but if you compare apple computer to being run by tim cook versus being run by steve jobs you have two vastly different management styles steve jobs was fantastic both as a product genius and in terms of a, uh, a visionary being able to present their, it's their actual vision that's being executed by the organization. That seems to me that's no longer the case with someone like Tim Cook. Tim Cook is an operational genius, if he's anything. And so philosophically, in, and I, I don't think this is isolated, whether you want to look at the old days with a Bill Gates or or any of the, the really large companies that just roll off the tongue, there used to always be a powerful figurehead. And it seems today that is less important, at least in fortune-style companies, in multi-billion dollar companies, because they're managing such a large organization, they're looking at putting the right people in place at very high levels, and then just orchestrating to some extent. I think it's very different than a small company. In a small company, the the uh, founder and the CEO needs to be not just uh, operationally minded because you're trying to take a company that, let's face it, is starting with very little, very few resources, very small teams, uh, and minimal product, and you're trying to make something big and exciting happen. Uh, for you to do that, you've got to both be a visionary and a leader and so do you want to be a manager or do you want to be a leader and you need to be at least a pretty good manager but you need to be a great leader and then bring in people that can manage around you right george and that is where you know there is this lot of leadership crisis and that is where a lot of discussion i have not created those discussions i discuss because the, the, the debates are having you know, very, very much open uh, in the, especially in the last couple of years. And, you know, that is where the great resignation comes in. That is where the toxicity as, at workplaces comes, comes in. And that is where also the discussion moved towards that, you know, with so much of money going to the top management, including CEOs, 
is it time to automate the ceo and there is one company which has done it and there <laughs> that come that that ceo the automated ceo is doing better than giving better results than what the real ones are doing and that is where you know all this debate is happening and so i want to understand from you you talk about you know five a ceo's job is also to inspire and that is not happening they are perspiring instead of inspiring so that is the difficult part so you talk about five behaviors of a ceo whose job is to establish you know that will help a, a great deal you know to establish a great company what are the behaviors that they should exhibit which is not being seen much in today's time well they have to develop a culture of execution they have to uh, hold both themselves and their management team accountable they they should never worry about being popular it's a very negative thing for a ceo to worry about being popular their job is not to be popular their job is to drive performance you can't be both and so you have to be able to have your your direct reports your vps your management team they are not your friends they may be somewhat your friends but they are your reports they are the ones that you're chartering to make it all come together and if if there's obstacles that are happening to that accountability you have absolutely got to drive them out you have to build and uh, build and maintain a cohesive management team that is absolutely critical you have to strive to have the entire organization be extraordinarily clear on what you're trying to accomplish and the trade off is clarity versus certainty if you have the mindset that you're going to wait and wait and ponder and ponder and try and think it through until you get it perfect and then launch something horrible idea you want to know directionally where you're going and then you want to iterate your way into success right right george so let's look at these points you talked about culture you talked about accountability you talked about the ceo should not try to be popular they should build you know rather than look at accountability and performance cohesive management team, uh, you know management team they should create and clarity of vision is that happening today what are, all those people you some of these top people you work with they may not have come from the uh, from the biggest of places they may not have uh, you know worked uh, full full completed their education but they knew what to do how is it happening on different fronts and how do we say then these are difficult waters are these difficult waters all in the mind or are actually i don't discount the problems that are there but when their problem is there it is there for everybody a ceo's job is also to see the future look at present moment what we are struggling with whether employees will come to office or they should not come to office after you know after uh, the the pandemic because nobody could fathom they thought the whole world will be working from forever so they allowed it or they could have clearly said this is this is only a temporary thing and now this whole debate is moving from uh, you know just talking about this whole thing whether one should come to office so in case of you know the genuine how do we look at the genuine problems actually there or is it that the incompetence and incompetency of some of these people is driving to problems and then we are talking about solving them how do you look at this whole leadership crisis among the competent ones and the non and the 
you know, non-competent ones. Because we need to have that clarity when we discuss that, yes, it is, a, it is, it is indeed troubled waters and not created ones. Well, you know, you know, AJ, uh, another interesting thought, and I'm going to reference a really old book for a moment. Uh, somewhere probably around 1980, Tom Peters wrote a book called In Search of Excellence. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. It was a hugely popular book that's 45 years ago, right? Well, what did he do? He went and interviewed and did case studies on 10 of the most successful monolithic large corporations in the United States at that point in time. And he was looking for great management practice. Well, every one of those companies, if I'm not wrong, every one of those companies has subsequently fallen into oblivion. And supposedly they had the best management. So they, the, I, I think I'd like to answer you this way. The path to success is a very difficult path to find. It would be wonderful if we could go to a chalkboard just like an MBA teacher or even more so like a physics professor and we could say it's this equation and that that's all you need to know but it, it's not it's really the cross product of the vision the execution the market centricity and the timing right so as well as the the team that you've put together so you can have a great team and a lousy idea and you're going nowhere fast right and and conversely you can have a great idea and poor execution and you're also going to fall on your face because you get the product in place and then nothing's going to happen because the product itself is going to fall apart or the support infrastructure is going to fall apart so you need to have four, five, six, seven, eight different ducks in a row. And again, that speaks to the fact that nothing is as simple as you think it is. If you were to read Jeffrey Moore, for example, who's one of the world's foremost authorities on crossing the chasm and dealing with hypergrowth, you find out that success is illusory because as you start to as the early adopters and the visionaries adopt your product, and that's who's going to do it first, and then you move into the early majority, the, the, the market demands keep changing, everything keeps changing, the people you have on your team need to change or at least minimally be very adaptable, and you suddenly have to become an orchestrator par excellence in order to keep all of the changing drivers under control because the drivers keep changing and if you're if you're thinking you're going to run a steady state company with one mantra and you know and one way of doing things you will you will without a doubt fail right george right now let me talk to you about this last aspect but the most important aspect that is for every company is the customer how are uh, you know companies looking at the customer how is the ceo looking at the customer because as i said the buck stops with him or her the customer seems to be uh, the necessary event 
nobody wants to deal with the customer <laughs> and they want their customers money but they don't want to deal with the customer so you see what is the the apparatus that has create, been created first it is the bots you can't get across them then there is online press 1 press 2 press 3 and again by that time the connection is lost there also the customer can't reach by chance if anybody responds their response give a templated response again the customer and it's an urgent thing the customer has paid the money it's a product or a service then by any chance any human response they have filled with in several companies i've seen it is my personal experience several companies i think you know what it's a deliberate thing to put in people who are a bit stupid they do not understand the customer is yes i you and i you and i are totally on the same page on this and i find it horribly annoying as a us based consumer uh, for whatever it is you know i had some issue with my uh uh my phone you know i, I don't know what the issue it wasn't the phone itself it was the service or something and i was trying to get resolution on the situation and all the decision making people were in the united states and all of the customer facing people were not in the united states they were working from scripts but i don't think they in this at least in this case they had no authority to actually solve my problem and what they told you know they start the phone call and they tell you I'm here to make you happy. And today on this phone call, I'm going to make you happy. And they say that about five times. And then they hear your problem and they say, I'm going to fix it. And then after they hang up, it didn't get fixed. What a disaster. I mean, if, if, uh, if companies are thinking this is some path to success, it's exactly the way you describe it. Companies are designing their support systems to isolate themselves from the customer as opposed to be close to the customer, which would be far better to know what's really going on. And do they even care? I don't know that they even care. It's your exact point. And then to overlay one step further, the, the new buzzword, which has been around for a few years now, is omni-channel. Used to be in most environments, you had a channel marketing approach. And so you would have distributors that would service a certain category. You would have uh, resellers or VARs or mass merchandise or catalog or you know, whatever it was. And you'd go through those channels to reach different consumer segments. But now everyone wants to sell every segment. And the question you probably want to ask is, are they actually capable of selling every segment? Can they solve the customer need? You know, is, is a warehouse, is a Costco as good as a full service somebody, you know, where you get people that really know what's going on? So, you know, corporations have to make those kinds of decisions and uh, if you want to go with a volume model and an omni-channel omni model, that's fine and dandy, but you better have a very highly commoditized, easily understandable product 
and you better be superb with your documentation and you better be superb with your customer communication that is systemic and web-based. And if you can't do that, you're asking for trouble. Exactly. Exactly. You put it right. And that is where I was saying that if you go get through the bots and you finally come across a human, the human is either very stupid or is acting to be stupid because they know they are <laughs> wanting to dissuade the customer because they know there is a problem at the product and the service and the middle people, all the management or the supervisors, they are gone. And you know what? The funny part or not so funny part is that the many of this middle management or the senior management, they are so busy talking about thought leadership, about what uh, all these things you can find on LinkedIn. And you know, they only respond, some of these companies, they only respond when you start hitting them and on social media. That is the language perhaps a customer is being taught. Not everybody is like that. Not everyone. And that is where you talked about, you know, hyper growth. When they know that they are not capable of selling everything and they are going for hyper growth, how can we know that they have uh, efficiency of decision making? Stick to the strength. Stick to, if I, if I become a consultant beyond asking questions, can I give the best suggestions, George? I will not. But everybody is acting to be everybody. How can that work? And that is where you know. So are they capable of managing? That is the big question to ask. Because if you don't understand the customer, the customer will forget you. And that time is coming. And I get uh, it is it is very good that if they understand it. If not, not only the customers, the companies will change CEOs. The customers will forget the company itself. Now this is what my observation is. I want your observation on this. Well, if you don't mind, uh, you're making me think of yet one other really difficult situation, which has become very common, is growth through acquisition. And growth through acquisition uh, is actually very tricky because you end up trying to assimilate multiple cultures and multiple, multiple product sets and multiple delivery mechanisms. And, you know, there's some management theory operating here where we're going to consolidate and build an efficiency and improve everything. But the reality is everyone in these acquired organizations is trying to maintain the same standard of delivery that they've always had, which is often very, very good, which is why they got bought in the first place. Their product was good. Their delivery was good. And it's a company you'd want to have. And then the person running the acquisition uh, arrangement cannot be responsive to all their internal customers. And as a result, the people doing the delivery inside the company, not just the consumer or the client, but the actual people doing the delivery in the company become very angry and disenchanted with the way the company is being managed. And then you start to lose people that are very critical to your delivery path. And so, and I'm sorry if I took you on a little different turn here, but it, it's all, it seems to me it's all related. And, and uh, you better have a, you, you should not acquire more companies than you can actually digest in a reasonable period of time, or else you're going to eventually pay the piper someday and find out that everything starts collapsing around you. 
you don't want that to happen. Absolutely, absolutely. So you see, there are so many factors to consider, so many factors. There are good CEOs, but then there are so many good inefficient CEOs, inefficient managers. And that is the world knows them, sees them. You know, just in newspaper, they say that, you know, if you write, if you write bad, it is the world will see it yourself. Nobody else has to tell you. And I would, same with, same I, with would, them. I would add the word disenfranchised managers as well. Right. Right. So be that as it may, there is so much to learn from you, George. So how Thank can you. people reach you, learn more from you, and also engage with you professionally with challenging decisions? Well, we'd welcome conversations with key executives and CEOs that are facing these types of problems. We have a lot of expertise to bring to bear across many different uh, facets of challenges. You get in touch with me uh, my email is the word diamond, the number one, at challengingdecisions.com. One big long word, diamond one, at challengingdecisions.com. The website is challengingdecisions.com. And you can call me direct at 312, this is a U.S. number, 312-320-7760. And we would welcome setting up uh, a Zoom conversation to see how we can be helpful. Wonderful, wonderful. And the talk with you has certainly been very helpful. I'm sure a lot of people will find it helpful and continue to learn from you, uh, from you, not only today, but going forward. With this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. Thank you, AJ. Have a good evening.